Good morning. We have a little bit of a different schedule today, so we are going to roll through a couple of thanks, Wes. A couple of new things here, and then we're going to do some Advent stuff. First, I want to welcome you to Grace Life. This is Grace Life. You're good there. That's fine. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, if you could get me to the first slide, wherever that would be. There we go. This is Grace Life, and we are disciples. We're becoming disciples. We're making disciples, and uh, are, we are equipping the saints. We are all saints. We all need to be equipped. So we're not going to ask you to sign up for 14 more things to do. We really want to help you understand you're already engaged in ministry, right? So we come together. We all need to be equipped. And so that's kind of what we're doing. We're going through Advent. Last week, we started talking about this tree, the stump, the budding tree. And today we're talking about Abraham's hope. And um, we're, we're going through as a church five readings per week, Monday through Friday or so. Some of them this week were like seriously like eight lines long, really, really short. So we can do it, right? If you can navigate the traffic here in the snow, you can do that. Anyway, so that's the deal. So we are going to take a uh, special time now and have some kids come up. And we are going to walk you through. We're going to walk you through. Uh, we're going to review the readings from this last week. Five readings. And the first reading was about creation. So here, who wants to take number one? Take number one, unwrap it. And go hang it on the tree. Show everybody what it is. It's a globe. God created the world and it was good. Right? Adam and Eve were part of that creation. And Adam and Eve walked with God. It was good. Who wants number two? You're in line. Take number two. Unwrap it and go hang it. What's that? Show everybody what that is. Alright, it's an apple with a snake on it. A piece of leather that looks like a snake. Anyway, so... God created the world good, but Satan tricked Adam and Eve into sinning, and then they couldn't walk and talk with God anymore. Super sad, right? All right, what's next? Number three. You want to take number three? Right here. And because so many people were not walking and talking with God, most everybody was not walking and talking with God, God told Noah to build an ark. Go ahead and hang it on the tree anywhere you want. And wiped out most of the people on the planet, except for Noah and his family, because they loved walking and talking with God. And then two more. Number four. What is that? Show everybody what that is. That's a tent. She's got the tent open. Nice and breezy. Abraham's tent. Go ahead and put that on the... So God called Abraham and said, go to a far place you don't know anything about, and I will bless you, and through you will come the solution to the sin. And so Abraham walked and talked with God. All right, number five. The last one. This is super tiny. You might lose it in there. What is that? Show everybody what that is. It's a little lamb, right? And that would be pointing to Jesus, the Lamb of God. But today we're going to talk about Isaac and the lamb and Abraham and how Abraham almost offered Isaac. And that's the whole story. Okay. Good job, guys. Thank you very much. Oh, yes. If your kids want to uh, slide on that way for Children's Church, ages two years old to fourth grade, they are now ready to roll. And look at them go. That's awesome. Okay. Now we're going to shift and read scripture. Got a slide here. Yep, there we go. Genesis 12, page 8. 
in the, not the red books in front of you, it's the, the Bible books in front of you, okay? It's going to sound pretty loud, so... There it is. <laughs> All right, our, uh, our first scripture reading for the Advent is going to be Genesis 12, 1 through 4. Uh, it's page 8 in the Bible under your seats. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. Fire! It's great. Good job, guys. Thank you very much. Yeah, here we go. Come on. Not official. All right. So um, thank you for that. We'll continue to go through. Next Sunday, we'll review the five readings that are in front of us, which by then will be behind us. Trust me, it works. All right. Okay. So we're doing Advent here. Just a quick review of what that is. I got a little simpler slide today. You know, we're talking about Abraham. He lived around 2000 BC. Jesus came and was crucified around uh, AD 33. We're 80, 20, 23, and the second advent could be like in 10 minutes or a thousand years. Seems more like 10 minutes lately, doesn't it? But anyway, that's kind of what we're doing. And um, I, had this, I had this quote last Sunday, and I just really, I really felt that this week. It was a tough week. Uh, I don't know, sometimes holidays can just, you know, we have these expectations, and then they don't happen, and, and we just kind of get conflicted. And there's just some latent sadness Right? And it's just a weirdest thing because everything's supposed to be happy, happy, and then we find ourselves a bit, a bit with attention. And so the celebration of Advent is possible only for those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. And his name is Jesus who is coming. And so I, I, I cherish that. I love that because, um, yeah, I felt troubled in soul and still do to some extent. And, and I suppose... That, to some degree, is just normal throughout most of life. There's always going to be something that's sideways and, and not quite right. Um, but we want God's blessing, right? We, we want God's blessing. We would sign up for that in a heartbeat. But as we look at Abraham's life, he wanted and received God's blessing, and yet <laughs> it, it didn't come in a wrapper or a package that looked anything like what Abraham was expecting, and he kind of he bashes his way through life. He's not perfect. Abraham is really messy and, and he has some faith, but he, he lies about his wife, and he manipulates here. And you're, you're looking at this, and, and you're like, on the surface, you'd, you'd be like, C minus? Right, really? I mean, come on, man. You can do better. But that's that performance mentality. I'm so refreshed to read Abraham's story, full of all these bumps and bruises and less than perfect things. And, and yet, in the middle of that, he has faith. And that faith is honored. He's in Hebrews 11. And I'm not. So there you go. He, he did okay. Anyway, so um, we want God's blessing. And that reminds me of a song by a, a well, here, I'll, I'll read some lyrics. And you, you see if you can, it's like a 10-year-old song on the whole, the Caleb kind of thing. Um, 
We pray for blessings. We pray for peace, comfort for family, protection while we sleep. We pray for healing, for, for prosperity. We pray that your mighty hand would ease our suffering, all the while you hear each spoken need, yet love is way too much to give us lesser things. Because what if your blessing comes through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? You know the song? It's Blessings by Laura Story. And her story, her last name is Story, I guess, or her, she married a man named Martin, and about a year and a half, two years into their marriage, he started to have just some unusual symptoms. And so um, he would sort of space out, and he would be sitting looking at football and just fall asleep. Um, she said she would ask him to do things like empty the dishwasher, and he would completely space it off. And so um, they go to the doctor, the doctor, you know, interviews and all this, and she tells him those things. And seriously, he says, you married a man. And they're like, yeah, but this is over the normal fall asleep, ignore the dishwasher things. And, and so he had some um, uh, brain tumor kind of things going on two years into the marriage. That was the beginning of a long road. Um, so he's, he didn't die, but he's still not fully recovered. Uh, she had a miscarriage and the kid had surgery. And so she just writes this whole song from that perspective that God allows imperfect healing to our bodies, to our families, to our community, for his purposes. Sometimes he gives us what we need for his kingdom and not what we want for our comfort. And that is a huge worldview shift. If you can start to figure that out, that I am alive on this planet for his kingdom and not my comfort, a lot of things, not everything, but a lot of things will start to make more sense and uh, derail you less often. So um, another way to put that is this. A plus B does not equal C. You know, sometimes maybe you grew up in a family where, where you're like, you do these things and God will bless you. You do A and you do B and then you get C. You get God's blessing. Well, Abraham does A and B and then he doesn't get C. And I've done A and B and I don't get C. So expectations are a huge part of, of holiday tension or personal struggles, whatever it is, our expectations. So um, realizing that A plus B does not equal C. You, you can't perform your way into a place with other people. Um, all right. So Abraham, we're going to be in Genesis 12. All right. Take your phone, your Bible, whatever you got, Genesis 12. We already read the first four and plus verses, but uh, God promises, I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great. And so it's all good news. He's 75 years old. It's good news. This is great. So if God tells you these things, you probably have a mental movie of how good this is going to be, right? And, and yet Abraham experiences multiple frustrations, multiple disappointments. And at every juncture, God immediately follows those with uh, a reiteration, a repeat of his promises. This is going to happen. I will bless you. I will give you this land. I will make your name great. And it's just kind of neat to see how when the disappointment comes, it's God's word that reorients Abraham to keep going. Even imperfectly, he just keeps bashing his way through, which I love. All right? So, do we want God's blessing? I think, I think we do, but it, it's not going to be easy. It doesn't mean we're in control. It probably doesn't mean we get the things we want unless the things we want are, are kingdom-oriented. But um, why is it that blessings are disguised? It's because God operates in the realm 
of the difficult. This is where he puts us so that we tune in to him and his purposes, all right? I mean, look at your own life. When things are going super well, you probably don't journal and pour out your heart to like writing psalms because everything's good. It's when life is blowing up that you're like, where's my journal? I got to write this down. What is going on? Where are you, God? And you, then you start, you and David are like, you know, buddies, right? You're, you're reading psalms every day. All right. So we experience tension in this life. Um, and yet hope is a real thing. Abraham had hope. And uh, his hope was fixed on the character of God and the promise of God and the provision of God. And that's what he, what he, um, what he marches forth with. All right? All right. So Abraham, we'll get into a story here, but keep this in mind. God promises him great things, a great name, a great nation, a blessing. And he experiences everything contrary to that. And God doesn't do what Abraham expected, when Abraham expected it, or how Abraham expected it. And so he's constantly set back asking questions. And you see in Abraham's story here, he, he starts to fix it. He starts to manipulate and go, well, if God's not doing this, then I'll do that. And he, he slowly learns the life of faith. All right? So let's give him some latitude and uh, allow him to grow in his faith as we allow our, each other to grow in faith. Okay? So he's hoping in God's character and promise. Um, God promised him blessing, and uh, he finds a famine. He goes to the promised land, and he finds famine. And he's like, wait a minute, that doesn't, that's not, that's not of the mental movie I have, Lord. What's wrong? He promises him peace, and he finds strife with Lot and the whole family. He's like, well, wait a minute, I, I, I did, I, I went to, to this place, and I find strife. God promised him blessings to the whole world through a specific son, and yet, he has no kids for decades. And when he finally gets one, God says, sacrifice him. And none of this makes any sense, all right? So, let's go to um, chapter 13. Uh, he moves to uh, Bethel, and there's strife between Abraham and Lot. And so they split up, and, and um, Abraham takes Canaan, Lot takes the Valley of Jordan, and there's uh, many stories. We're going to be going pretty fast through this stuff, all right? But... Um, and then right here in the midst of this tension, God reiterates or repeats the promise. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. So if anyone can count the dust of the earth, so your offspring can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land. I will give it to you. So it's a metaphor, dust, a lot. Okay, that's what it means. Chapter 14. Abraham is expecting this promise of a, of a big nation to come to him, but he has no kids. And so he's probably thinking, well, maybe, maybe it's through the family, a big umbrella, including Lot over here. And so Lot gets in trouble, and so then um, he has to go out and rescue him. Uh, a king named Shedolatimer uh, captured Lot. So if you're young and expecting, there's a name to consider for your offspring, okay? Shedolatimer. Anyway, um, Abraham was afraid, and, and he's thinking maybe God will fulfill his promise through um, Lot and, and his kids, because I don't have any kids. And then chapter 15, you know, God says, no, don't, it's not through Lot. Chapter 15, he shows up, and he's like, well, Lord, you haven't given me anybody. And I think there's a little bit of saltiness to that statement. And, and he says, so I have made Eliezer of Damascus my heir, because you haven't given me anybody. You can see the frustration building, okay? So chapter 15, and the first thing God does in chapter 15, verse 1, God says, fear not. 
God promised to bless Abraham. It's not happening. And he says, fear not. But Abraham said, oh, Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer. Eli like it's God's problem that Eliezer is the, you know what I mean? Um, Abraham said, behold, you have given me no offspring. A member of my own household will be my heir. Behold, um, God said, this man shall not be your heir. From your very, for your very own son shall be your heir. So then he reiterates the promise. He brought him outside and said, look at the stars. If you can number them, you can number your offspring. So dust and stars, God is continually to reaffirm, listen to my word, trust my word. I am faithful. I am going to do this, just not right now. Okay? And then verse 6 of chapter 15 is gold. This shows up in Romans and Galatians. It's really good. It says, uh, he believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. Now, this is huge. Because this is chapter 15, and the law, the obedience of the law, doesn't show up for a couple chapters. And so Paul's big deal in Romans is like, hey, Jews, your hero Abraham, how, how did it work with him? Which came first, belief in righteousness or following the law? Oh, it's belief in So it's just, okay, we'll get back here to Genesis, but that's classic. Genesis 16, he's still, there's still no offspring. And, and so it's like, it's not with Lot, it's not with Eliezer, and, and, and years are going by. And so chapter 16, he's now 86 years old, so uh, 11 years have passed since the promise. 11 years? Can you, can, are you okay praying for something for 11 years? Or, I mean, after seven years, you're like, uh, what? Let's just, let's just go to top golf. You know, if they got heat in the, in the winter, let's just go blast them ball. Because God's not listening after eight years. It's easy to go there, isn't it? 11 years, frustration. So Sarah's frustrated, and she's like, hey, here's Hagar, our maid. Have a kid through her, and that kid will be ours. Now, we look at that and go, that's just that's creepy, weird. On a scale of 10, it's number 10 weird. But in this culture, that was a thing that they would do. They found these archaeological evidence that, that in the case of barrenness, you would have a kid through the, the maid, and then that maid was legally the, the primary couple's child. But boy, it creates a little bit of tension. My kid, your kid, the kind of thing. And so that's what they do. And um, chapter 16, Ishmael is born to Hagar. He's the father of the Arabs. We keep today's news in mind as, as you kind of look at this, right? Isaac is, is Abraham's son, the father of the Jews, and Ishmael, the father of the Arabs. The Arab-Israeli conflict happens on this page in Genesis 16. They try to fix the problem of God's delay by having a kid through Hagar. And uh, it says, he shall be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him, and he will dwell over against all his kinsmen just strife. It's, it's a sobering thought to realize how many times in my life I, I take a step out of not faith, out of the carnal effort, manipulation, control, and that bears fruit that can outlast me in my family in all kinds of ways like this. I don't want to freak you out. I don't think that if you sin today, you're not going to set up the next, you know, global scale conflict for the next 4,000 years. Okay, but, but it, 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 there's weight to the concern we have about the validity and the reality of our decisions. 
They really do matter, and they really do set up patterns. But the good news is, even in a broken family system, you find God's grace. And that's what we see here, okay? All right, so Genesis 16, Sarah and Abraham try to fix it, manipulate it, and that's not working. It got worse. Now we have this conflict, Genesis 17. Now Abraham's almost 100, all right? It's been 24 years, and God reiterates the promise. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. I will give you and your offspring this land, that the sojourning, all the land of Canaan, an everlasting possession. And so then he does the whole circumcision, observe the law thing, but that's separate from belief and righteousness, which is, is, is really critical. Um, and God promises Abraham a son, and Abraham laughs. Did you know that? You, we know Sarah laughs, right? But Abraham laughs in chapter 17. And then God says, you're going to name your kid Isaac, which means laughter. And so it's sort of this like, you can't do this. Oh, I can too. And you're going to call him laughter. Every time you step out on the back porch for supper and you yell, Isaac, supper's ready, you're going to be reminded of laughter and what God can do turning your laughter into joy. All right. So God promises to bless Ishmael, but the covenant continues through Isaac. So now we have these two lines. Uh, Ishmael, the Arabs, going to be a great nation, going to be powerful, going to be against everybody. But Isaac and the Jews, the covenant, the land, the promises are going to continue through Isaac. And so we have this, have this built-in animosity and conflict. Chapter 18, God promises Sarah she will have a child. And then she laughs. Oh, right, like that's going to happen. The interesting thing is when she, when she does that, God doesn't go to Sarah and say, hey, why are you laughing? at me. Like, I can't do this? God doesn't do that. He goes to Abraham, and he says, Abraham, how come your wife doesn't have faith in me? I, I think there's something weighty there for men in a marriage. I think we're, God's holding Abraham responsible for Sarah's lack of faith. It's his job to get her to a place. We can believe in God. God is going to be faithful. Let's trust God. I mean, obviously, she's and, and women are in charge, or, you know, they have to do their own spiritual life. They can't just passively like someone else is doing it. But, but at the same time, um, guys, we, we need to nurture and encourage the faith of our wives. All right, chapter 19, he prays, he rescues Lot. Again, this whole Sodom and Gomorrah story, chapter 20. He's, he's afraid, and so he lies about his wife. Oh, she's really my sister. And this is a classic, classic situation. If you read the text super carefully, which we always do, um, they're, going, they're going to a place, and he, Abraham's like, oh, hey, listen, um, when we go there, they're going to see you, and you're beautiful, uh, and they're going to kill me so they can take you. And so, so that, first off, that's just a completely fabricated, fear-based future scenario. Have you ever done that? You have these fear-based scenarios that are like in full color, 3D, almost reality in our heads. They haven't even happened yet. So, and he says, do this so that it may go well with me and that I might live on your account. In other words, honey, you're beautiful, but you're expendable. I will spend you like a get-out-of-jail card. Some other guy will take you. Who knows what he'll do with you, but I'm okay. <sighs> okay. What is that? Uh, it's wrong. It's selfish and sinful. That's what passive, passive men will use others for their own ends. Um, so he lies to Abimelech about the sister thing, and then God speaks to him in a dream 
And um, Abimelech responds. He gives, gives her back and says, what are you doing? I love it that a pagan king is responding to God better than God's own people sometimes. You know what I mean? He just immediately responds, gives her back. Chapter 21. Isaac is born, and Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. So laughter is a big, big theme in this story of Abraham and Sarah, all right? Meanwhile, Ishmael, he's older now, a teenager. He and his mother, Hagar, just sent away, just sent away in the wilderness. Maybe they die, maybe they don't, but they're sent away, and God takes care of them, and they grow up into be opposing nations. Okay, now we get to chapter 22. This is the whole thing. Remember, God has promised Abraham a son from him and Sarah, Isaac. They got, they got Isaac. They've been waiting a long, long time, over two decades, for this child, through whom all the blessings that they've been waiting for will come. It's probably easy to over-cherish that child, right? And to idolize that child as a token, a symbol of everything good that God's going to do. And God comes in and says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering to the place I will show you. What? That doesn't make any sense. I mean, we've been waiting so long and you, you promised and, and, and finally you delivered and, and now this? And the, the text is just unhelpfully vague. It simply says, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. So he just went. Like, like there was no internal struggle. You know, there's going to be internal struggle. There's going to be tears and confusion. I don't know how much time happened here, but um, the neat thing is here is Abraham has struggled through Lot and Eliezer and, and all this other stuff. Hagar, Ishmael, and, and he seems to be kind of honing in and learning about who God is and how God works. And, and, and he gets to this point, and it's a step that God knows he can take, and he does take a step of faith, right? He doesn't understand it because God said, through Isaac, your descendants, everything that I promised you will come to, uh, to be. So they came to the place. I'm in Genesis 22 now. They came to the place, Mount Moriah. Uh, Abraham built the altar, laid the wood on the altar, bound Isaac, his son. What kind of conversation preceded that? Laid Isaac on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But God intervenes and stops him. The angel says, stop. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything for him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you've not withheld your only son from me. You are not over-cherishing him as an idol. You still trust in God, not through the means through which God said he was going to bless you. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram. I looked, I, I right-clicked on that word on my software. Like, what, what word is this, ram? It's super goofy vague. It means a strong pillar, a strong man, or something strong, some kind of strong animal. It's that vague. <laughs> It could be a ram, it could be a man, it could be a pillar. Anyway, I thought that was weird and interesting. But anyway, a ram caught in the thicket. We know it's an animal here because they, they, they sacrifice it. The, the point is, God provided this ram animal stuck in the thicket. This is nearby, it's visible. And Abraham took it, slaughtered the ram instead of his son, and called that place, the Lord will provide. 
Isn't that neat? He took steps of faith, and he found that the Lord will provide for him in the middle of those steps of faith. So, what was Abraham thinking? Wouldn't it be fun to get in his head? Like, like how does he deal with the fact that God promised him blessings through Isaac, the whole world will be blessed, the whole, the whole Messiah, the whole package is through Isaac, your son, big deal, and yet he went through the motion of sacrificing. Here's what Hebrews says about this very scene, a little footnote to Abraham's life. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and when he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac, your offspring shall be blessed. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So, the author of Hebrews is saying Abraham was willing to go through and sacrifice his son, just reasoning that God would bring him back to life. Because God promised him it was through this son. So even if he's dead, he's coming back because God's promise is going to continue. That's an A-plus moment. You know what I mean? That's pretty impressive um, to, to have that kind of faith. But it, he didn't get there quickly. This is like 25, 20, 35 years after, right? So he's been growing for decades. And so... Give yourself some room when you're growing in faith and you bump around and you don't do it well. It's okay. We, we just continue to learn how to walk with God, how to trust him. We continue to discover he is good, he's faithful, and, um, and that's good. And so when the, the more we can encourage each other in the midst of our, of our lying and manipulating and fear-based actions and our carnal flesh as we try the more we can grant each other grace and forgiveness and continue to point to the goodness and the faithfulness of God, can you, can you feel the, the breath of fresh air that atmosphere is around the Thanksgiving table? We, we shared Thanksgiving with some, some friends and going around, and, and um, a friend of mine was just talking about the grace of God and how, how it's so amazing, and another um, friend at the table was just almost in tears and said, I just wish... Every family was like this, that understood grace and how that matters in family relationships. It can be pretty powerful. So anyway, um, Hebrews. So God doesn't make Isaac pay with his life for the sacrifice. He provides another sacrifice that's nearby, accessible, and appropriate. So Abraham sets Isaac free. The ram dies, Isaac lives because of the sacrifice. All right, um, where this happens is Mount Moriah, and this is pretty significant. Mount Moriah is the name of like a hill, and on that hill stands the Dome of the Rock. It's the third most holy site in the Islamic world. Um, so this is a good aerial view. This big square thing here is the Jewish Temple Mount. I'm going to walk you through some history, but this, this is controlled by the Muslims, and this is the Jewish the Jewish Temple Mount. And so it's one of the most valuable places on the planet, hotly contested, critical importance to Jews, Arabs, and Christians. All right? So um, about a thousand years after Abraham offers Isaac this place, this is Mount Moriah, David buys this place and, and starts, he wants to build the temple, but the Lord is like, your man of bloodshed. So Solomon builds the temple here on this place. All right? Um, the first temple is built in nine, these dates are important, 966 B.C. B.C., Solomon builds the temple there, all right? God gave the Jews this land, this city of Jerusalem. David bought it, 
they build a temple. 400 years after Solomon's first temple, it's destroyed in 586 B.C. by the Babylonians. Okay, this is on the test on Thursday, so. 70 years later, the second temple is rebuilt under Cyrus, the king of Persia. Solomon's temple is the first temple destroyed. The second temple is the rebuilt temple, and that's built in 516. Persian king Cyrus gives them money, go back and build it. 530 years after that, Herod the Great is alive. Now we're in the New Testament era, and Herod the Great spends all kinds of crazy money and makes it just elaborate. He's the one that expanded the, the big square temple mount. The big square thing is the temple mount. Herod doubled the size of that. Super, super ornate and expansive, all right? However, 30 years after that, the Romans in AD 70 come in, wipe the whole place, destroy it, completely destroy it. Prophecy of one, not one stone shall rest upon another, complete destruction. And Josephus, historian, has, has stories about the Romans going in there and, and everything's burning and it's so hot. The gold that was in the temple melted and trickled down between the rocks. And so the Romans would get pry bars and pry out the rocks to get the gold. Thus, not one stone is left upon another. Um, I don't know if that's true, but that's what Josephus said. Um, but the Dome of the Rock right there, that was built in, you ready for this, A.D. 691. So Solomon built it in 966 B.C. The Muslims built that in 691 A.D. Who, who got there first? You, you kind of want to remember that, right? When, when you hear the news, and in fact, this is a little bunny trail, is super interesting and super sad. Archaeology is a weapon for the Arab-Israeli conflict. Because the, the Muslims control the Dome of the Rock and underneath chambers and tunnels, anytime they find anything of value that would argue for Jewish primacy, that the Jews were the first, they burn it, destroy it, fill entire rooms full of cement. Because they do not want any... And, and the, the bulk of all archaeology shows that Israel has been there for a thousand years, all the way back to Solomon's date. So archaeology is, is a weapon. And just a heads up, if you read a news article, archaeology shows that, that David never lived. Remember that archaeology is subjective, and it's a tool to get to the point. So it's not all just, oh, it's science. It's, it's, it's often spun. Okay, end of my, my little commercial there. But this is inside the Ark of the Covenant. When I was there, I had to pay like five bucks to go into this place. So worth it because it's the only place in all of Jerusalem that I found that had carpet. And, and my feet were killing me. So I had, there was carpet in there. You walk around. And this is the natural bedrock of Mount Moriah. They built the dome around it. Okay? So that, that is, um, there's a lot of, of um, prophetic significance about that. And, and um, obviously, if, if the, the Muslims control the Dome of the Rock and the Jews control that, and there's going to be a third temple. Scripture talks about a third temple, which needs to go right here. Something sometime in the future is going to happen between the Jews and the Muslims regarding that spot. Okay? There's a couple key verses that are interesting. Luke says, um, Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Scripture allows for the Muslims to be right there. And also Revelation 11. Check this out. Uh, I was given a measuring rod and was told, rise, measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship. But do not measure the outer courts, the big square thing. 
for it is given to the nations or the Gentiles, they will trample the holy city for 42 months. So, so Scripture is not surprised by that situation, um, but that is, that is interesting. All right, so what we're trying to say is that God promised Abraham blessing. The blessing came in a package that Abraham didn't recognize. It didn't look like anything he expected. His expectations were, were deceiving him. It's not through Lot. It's not through Eliezer, his household. It's not through Hagar. Even though the culture said this is the way you should do it, God chose a different way, a longer way, over two decades. Finally, Isaac is born, and he tests him by saying, are you over-cherishing the means of my blessing, or do you still love me? And so Abraham is walking and talking with God, follows him, and um, God stops him short of that and provides another sacrifice. And this is obviously how the story lends up with Jesus, right? I mean, we, our lives are, are forfeitable. We are accountable for our sin. Cannot pay it. I owe a debt I cannot pay. You do too. And yet God is providing a ram, a lamb, the son of God, Jesus, who is nearby accessible and perfect for that sacrifice. So he dies, we don't. That is what Advent is about, looking forward to the hope we have in him. So, um, each step of Abraham's story is comforting to me because he runs into disappointment, to tensions, things that don't, don't look right, aren't right in a broken, fallen world. And um, those disappointments, if you look at Abraham, any one of those, it's a pretty big deal. They could torpedo his faith. They could shape his view of God and theism to be a negative, bitter old man, right? I mean, I'm, I'm not sure how we would do going through that script in real time, waiting 11 years, waiting 24 years. Why does God do that? Those are the times when we journal and we cry out to God, we read Psalms, we grow closer to God in those times. His blessings often include the very things we could use as evidence that God doesn't even exist. And some people in our culture do that. And I, I can see God at the conference table. He's like, what, what in the world? Guys, Gabriel, what's going on? I mean, they prayed for my blessing, so I, I give them this thing. Uh, sure, it's painful. But this is the avenue of my blessing. And Gabriel's like, yeah, well, Lord, we're, we're, we're on top of it. You know, I don't know. I, I always picture God and Gabriel at the, at the conference table in heaven running everything, right? Having all these conversations. That's probably not helpful. But anyway, um, especially with, with the Virgin Mary. God shows up at the conference and says, hey, I've got a plan. This is the deal. This, this, this teenage girl and, and you know, <laughs> the, 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 the angels. Yeah, let's, let's get back on Thursday and relook at that because there's about 14 problems. I don't know. Anyway, it's just, it's great. All right. Tension and disappointment is where and when and how we draw close to God. Abraham learned of God's goodness. He slowly discovered his faithfulness. And so he starts to walk closer to him. He's walking and talking with God. That was the plan from the beginning. God created everything good, walking and talking with God. Satan's sin, Adam and Eve could no longer walk and talk with God. The flood, so many people were not walking and talking with God, wiped them out. Noah and his family were walking and talking with God, mostly, and then it just keeps going on. He wants us to walk and talk with him through the sacrifice of his son, which is the first advent all about. Um, so, 
The goal of the Christian life, I just want to reiterate this, especially at Thanksgiving, holiday, Christmas time, uh, it's not perfection. Sometimes we want perfection. We want things to be a certain way. Perfection shouts, I can. Grace shouts, he already has. We can rest in the middle of my troubled soul, like that quote, I can rest when things are sideways and not good and receive God's love, and I can even give God's grace to others when my cup is not full. You know what I'm saying? So, um, all right. Abraham, his hope was in God's promise, God's provision, and that's where our hope should be too. So it's... Um, do you want God's blessing? I would, sure, absolutely. Even if his blessing is cloaked in disappointment, that's like, well, maybe we'll just pass on that one and get the good stuff, the low-hanging fruit. Yeah, it's sometimes a package, right? So chances are good that his blessings are going to be cloaked in some way that we don't realize it. And I think as we grow in faith, we get to the point where we can look at a painful situation and go, hmm, that is an opportunity for God's grace. I'll just pray for that for the next two or three decades. See what God does. That's a mature faith. And sometimes we're there and sometimes not. Fair enough. The disappointments of today point to a future hope because of who God is. What God has done, and he is faithful, as Abraham discovered him, and that's fantastic news. So, Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for Abraham's story. It's encouraging because he's not all buttoned up and clean and perfect. Um, we resonate with his struggle to, to have faith and, and how quick we are to go and try to fix things that, that you don't seem to do when or how we want. So we pray that we would be like Abraham, that we would continue to follow you. We would grow in our faith. We would find you faithful, and that we would, when the day comes, take massive steps of faith, not because we're special, but because we've discovered that you are good, you are faithful, and you are true. Amen.